All right. Speaking of the smell test, and That's Mel right. Antonin joins us now. Back from San Diego, California. Mel, first of all, great week of work for you on the Mass and Sports uh, Network. Uh, was it a lot of fun this year? Oh, yeah. It's how, the, the baseball winter meetings are a lot of fun. They're a lot of work from 7 in the morning until 10 at night. But uh, they're a lot of fun. You get a chance to talk baseball, see friends, and, um, you know, talk about what's gonna, what may or may not happen. There's a lot of rumors, a lot of speculation, but that's all part of the fun. Yeah, and he's, he's totally reporters right. Reporters generally take one kernel of popcorn and turn it into a jumble bag in seconds. Right. But, and Mel, <laughs> Mel is absolutely right. You go from 7 in the morning until 10 at night, and usually sometimes even longer than that, and what happens is when you're making that trip, whatever city you're going to, you're saying, well, you know, I might get a chance to go see that. No, you're you in the hotel, exactly. and you don't leave the hotel for four straight days. Yeah, I have yeah. to laugh at hearing some of the executives in different interviews, either with Mel or, or on XM Radio, talking about what a great city, San Diego. It's great to get out of here and all. Uh, you, you're in that hotel the entire entire four or five days. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Um, you get maybe 10 or 15 minutes here and there to step outside. San Diego weather is incredible. The views from the hotel were great, particularly from Mike Elias's room. <laughs> he had a great view of uh, of the water with some uh, aircraft carriers uh, right outside his hotel room, which is that was probably the most exciting thing. And I remember asking Mike, I said, what do you think of this view? And sarcastically he said, well, I can live with it, but yeah, it, was, yeah. it, it was an absolute spectacular view. The thing is, he's so busy, I'm not sure he even got to notice the view. Did you? I'm just curious now. You you were there last year, uh, and the game. Where were they in Las Vegas? Last Las year? Vegas. Yeah. Um, did you detect that he had things much more under control? Last year was kind of like um, a nine alarm fire. He had just been hired like three weeks before the meetings. It seemed like there's a lot more composure now. Oh, yeah, a lot more planning. It just makes sense. He'd just come on board last year, so he was trying to hire a manager. He was just trying to get organized. You couldn't really focus on on development and setting setting a tone and setting a philosophy and setting a, a direction. He had to get the foundation set first. So, yeah, he... Yeah, I mean, there was a lot less stress this time around. And probably a lot more fun for him because the fun part of the job is planning a roster, making trades, evaluating players. But, you know, last, last year he wasn't able to do that. He had, he, had so much, he had so much going. Mel, we were talking, Craig and I, it's very interesting. Uh, obviously we weren't in the, in the main news of, of, you know, signing yeah. a big free agent, making a big trade at these meetings. But the four players they come away with – all have connections to people in the organization. Bailey, the pitcher with Houston, Rucker with uh, Brandon Hyde and the Cubs, and then the two international guys that they took in the minor league uh, rule five uh, are both tied to Kobe Perez. Yeah, uh, I think it's, I think it just shows that you know you have to know the players. You have to get to know the players that you're bringing into the organization as well as possible. And it's one thing to scout them, see them live. It's one thing to to uh, see them on video and read reports about them. It's another thing to study their analytics. But, you know, the more you know somebody, the better off you are. So I know that, you know, with those players, particularly Mike Elias coming out of Houston, they're much more comfortable. So the more time you can spend with somebody, the more you know about them, 
the better chance you have to be successful with them. And and so you got a great point there. The thing Mike Elias said before the Rule Five draft, he didn't say he didn't say that they were going to go after a lot of starting pitching. Uh, he would never say that. That would be the priority. But the point was, I, I think reading between the lines, that if starting pitching was available, that was going to be the priority. And obviously, it's very important. It's a big need for the Orioles. We're talking with Mel Anton of MattsonSports.com. He just got back from San Diego, and he joins us right now. Correct? All right, the big elephant in the room for the Nationals, Mel. Obviously, they re-sign uh, Steven Strasburg, and they let Anthony Rendon get away to the Angels. Ironically, the contract numbers are identical, uh, and, and people were asking me about it and what I thought, and I said, well, if you had to have one or the other, I said I would uh, pick the pitching end of it almost every time, and it looks like that's the way that this turned out uh, for Mike Rizzo. Yeah, I agree. Pitching is much. You'd rather have a strong pitching staff with an ER with a rotation that's in the top five in ERA than to have poor pitching and an offense that has to score nine or ten runs every night to win a game. So, um, well, I think I, I think Anthony's going to find that out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's going to be a lot of 13 to 11 games, and I don't know if he knows what he's getting into in Anaheim. There is there are there are no pitchers, right. Andrew Haney, uh, Dylan Bundy, but that's basically it. Then they've got a bunch of prospects. Albert Pujols is 39. Mike Trout, you know, obviously he's got a 440 on base percentage, but um, but um, you know he can't do it all, and Rendon can't do it all either. So. You win with pitching. Joe Madden, the Angels manager, said that several times at the winter meetings. We've got to have some pitching. We've got to have some pitching. Again, you'd rather have the best ERA in the league than the best run-producing team in the league. Absolutely. Mel, uh, the Nationals with Rendon gone, I I know the the talk is that, you know, they're turning their attention to Josh Donaldson. I would say that there's still three teams active in the Donaldson hunt at least and that's the Dodgers, the Braves, and the Nats. What if they don't get Donaldson? Well, then, then, and I'm not sure they will. If Donaldson wants a four-year contract of $25 million a year, do you really want to pay a third baseman, 38 years old, that kind of money? I'm not sure. Uh, but if not, then you're going to have to go with somebody like Starlin Castro or maybe even their prospect, Carter Keyboom. Can he play third base next year? And then load up at second base. There's... You know, you can make up some of Rendon's offensive numbers by signing a second baseman with power. I'm thinking, you know, Dozer coming back wouldn't hurt. Um, Jonathan Scope would be good. Jason Kipnis would be good. You know, you could load up with an offensive player at second base and then see what you can get at third base with guys like, you know, somebody like Carter Keeboom. Hoping Keeboom could do for the infield what Soto and Robles did for the outfield when Harper left. But, uh there's not a lot. Everybody's talking about Starlin Castro would be a possibility. Uh, but about, other about... than that, it, it's slim pickings, and it feels like what the Nats have to do is four years to Donaldson or what you know, about, what be about, a little more creative outside the box. What about being creative outside the box with, uh, say, Kyle Seeger? Uh, if you could trade maybe one of the three pitchers at the back end of that rotation, both Fetty or Ross for a Kyle Seeger. Well, that would be good if if, if you could. You'd you'd have to find another pitcher. Yeah. Uh, you know, you like to have seven or eight pitchers that are ready to go. Maybe uh, 
a couple in the minor leagues. So that would be another option if Seattle, um, if Seattle would trade Seager, Seager would be a good possibility. My feeling is, my guess is that Seattle would be asking for more in prospects, and the Nats are are willing to give up. But if they did trade either any of those three pitchers, they'd have to they'd have to sign somebody else just to make up the depth because the Nats, the way they win and the way they go about this is they like to have about seven or eight pitchers in their system. He's owed $37 million for the next two years. He's not cheap, but suppose Seattle took, say, $5 million back and a, a, an arm. You know, and and let's not forget the possibility of Michael A. Taylor being thrown in That's a possibility. As, as part of that. Now the Nationals would have to decide whether or not uh, they want to part with who, a guy who can play every day. I think. Yeah. One of the one of the better defensive good centers. Insurance policy, right. He's, but he's a hell of an insurance policy for that club. If Robles goes down or Eaton goes down, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Mel, from from what you gathered out there, and I know a lot of what we gather when we're at the winter baseball meetings is just standing around the lobby and talking and hearing. Um, what's the market looking like for Daniel Hudson? And do you think it, this will get done, or do you think he's going to price himself a little a little beyond Mike Rizzo's appetite? I think there's a huge market for him. Just about every contending team needs starting pitching. He would love to come back to Washington, no question about it. I mean, who wouldn't, given what Washington did for him? Yep. Uh, he would like to come back, but the market is very strong for him. Uh, just about every contender outside of Atlanta and maybe the Yankees uh, – well, you could use bullpen help, and that's why it's taking so long is because he's he's got a lot of offers to sift through. I really think, number one, he would love to return to Washington. He's got kind of a legacy here, but, you know, it may not happen. We found out how far he can throw his glove. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a great story, Craig, as you know. I mean, this yep. is a guy that was cut from the Angel Spring training uh, team in in spring training last year ended up going to Toronto, changing some mechanics, and then ended up doing exactly what he did with the Nats. It's a great story. It's a great story, and uh, you know I got to be honest with you. I, I look at this team right now. If they, you know, and and I, I think the Nationals, uh, from what I've read and what I've heard, is that they are definitely talking about Donaldson, but they they know flat out it's going to cost them four years if they do that. Uh, so again, would you like him? Yeah, sure. I think everybody would. Uh, uh, I know there's some clubhouse issues that people talk about with him at times, but I have a friend in Atlanta and we had him on the show last week, Kevin McAlpin, who covers the Braves, uh, for Braves radio. And he says, you couldn't get a better guy in their clubhouse. So yeah, he's, I think he's proven himself over the years. Uh, he's just such a good hitter. Um, and he, and I, I don't, I haven't heard anything about the clubhouse issues there may well be, but Four years is a lot, and I think the, the, if it were a two-year contract, I don't think there'd be any question. But a four-year contract, then you have to say that I'm going to pay a third baseman somewhere between 20 and $25 million a year at age 38. That's not necessarily good business. That's not necessarily business that the Nats uh, want to do. But, boy, they're in a predicament because if they do make a trade for Seager or if they sign Castro, it's going to be expensive. Mm-hmm. A, a quick question. Is there a skinnable cat with Donaldson, say, at three, at 27 and a half or 28? So you, you pay him more than your appetite per annum would be, but you don't pay that fourth year. Yeah. 
I that I think that would be very favorable for the Nats. Yeah. But I don't know what Donaldson thinks. I don't know what he wants. And it is amazing the position he is in. Mm-hmm. When you consider he was a year ago, he was, there were so many questions around him, like can he play, can he not play? Remember when he got the big contract with Atlanta for one year, everybody said, what are the Braves doing? Yeah. Now he's got three contending teams that want him. So that would be a better deal for the Nats that you described, Stan the Fan, but, yep. you know, who knows? Uh, a question. Uh, we're not used to seeing Andrew Freeman get out of his comfort level of going after the big guys for six or seven years not only did he go after them, but he was shunned by both Garrett Cole and Anthony Rendon. Where do they turn next? And, um, you know, uh, do you think Mad Bum is a lock to go there? And if they get him, does Rayu still fit there as well? Yeah, I think I think either Rayu or Bumgarner could come back. Uh, I think teams like Cincinnati and the Twins have been shut out of the market. I think if the Twins could have struck early with either Mad Bum or Hinjin Ryu, they probably would have had him. But now that Cole and Strasburg have signed their contracts, Ryu and Bumgardner are asking for a lot more. The question for Bumgardner is, would he really go pitch for the Giants' biggest rival, the Dodgers? Would that hurt his legacy in San Francisco, and does he worry about that at all? In my mind, that would be a legitimate question to ask Madison Bumgardner. We have seen players go to rival teams, but, you know, this is a pretty special deal. Mad, Mad Bum and his World Series legacy in San Francisco all of a sudden going to the Dodgers. I would think it would be an issue with San Francisco fans. It's, and I would think that Madison Bumgarner would think twice before signing with the Dodgers. On the other hand, you know, $100 million would take care of that problem. Uh, you know, it probably would. But the other part of it is if you've seen Mad Bum on the mound when he's gotten into these little scuffles, uh, with a, a batter that he maybe thought he was throwing at him or whatever. I don't think Mad Bum cares a whole bunch. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's a good that's a good point. He's the forgotten man. Everybody keeps thinking, is he done, is he done, is he done? He's 30 years old. He had a great ERA. He threw 200 innings in 2019. And none of his injuries in the past have been mechanical pitching injuries like elbow or shoulder. I mean, he hurt his, you know, he had that dirt bike accident that, bruised his shoulder, and then he, he had a comebacker where he broke his finger. But you get the feeling that if you can get Mad Bum for $100 million, that's a pretty good deal. Hey, last uh, quick question for you, Mel, and we appreciate Mel joining us. We're in the live casino hotel studio. Mel, uh, the Orioles, do you think that come uh, spring training that Michael Givens and Trey Mancini will both be on the team? Will Givens go, Mancini back? Or it's an unknown right now. I think it's un. Uh, I think I think you have to play the odds, and I think Mancini will stay because I'm not sure what the market is for for. I mean, Mancini's a good player, but I don't, I'm not sure there's a market for for the price that the Orioles would want for Mancini. So I think Mancini stays, and I think Givens. There's a much better chance that Givens gets traded simply because contenders are always looking for bullpen pitchers. And as we all know, once Gibbons settled in in the second half, he pitched pretty well the final two months of the season. All right. We'll hope to maybe hook up with you one more time before spring training, just as that's about to kick off. I'll see you sometime in the studio, Mel, over on Masson with the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report. Thank you very much for joining us, Mel. You guys, it's great to be with you. Have a good one. Have a great holiday season, too, Mel.